Hey everyone, welcome to Smash and Grab Comics. This is Tyler sitting here on a Saturday night with the... Uh, well, I was going to come up with something new, John, but I guess the the pretty boy of comics, <laughs> John Paul Jones. The other John Paul, as I like to call him. The other Paul. The other the other white Paul. The other white Paul. <laughs> yes, that's me. That's me. Uh, you know, uh, Led Zeppelin's one of my favorite bands. Yeah. And I know I haven't said this in a while, but... I, I am incredibly jealous of your name, oh. of John Paul. Hey, it's gotten me out of a couple speeding tickets. John Paul Jones. Um, anyway, uh, tonight's going to be a really great episode. We have got with us Prentice Rollins um, calling from London. Is that correct? That's right, yes. Oh, the, um, so we were looking in um, the previews, and we happened to see the furnace in there, which made us pretty excited because we were going to talk about that tonight. Um, Great. So how long have you been working on this idea? Um, the, the story uh, began as a uh, prose story written for um, a writer's workshop, a Gotham writer's workshop in New York City in 1998. And uh, that was when I was uh, working pretty steadily for DC Comics. And um, around 2000. I decided, I mean, I'd been thinking about giving it a graphic novel treatment for some time, but that was when I decided to get serious about it. So I wrote the script, and then it sat around for, went through several versions and kind of sat around for a while. Um, And in 2009, I started actually creating the artwork. Um, So I was working on it, um working on the actual art for about seven years, um, not not steadily. There were three periods of one year each about where I had to set it aside entirely. And when I was working on it, um, it was kind of a back burner thing, but it was so it was a pretty long protracted affair. Um, long time in the making. Hey, I, uh, I was just um, looking at the uh, PDFs that you had sent over. Um, and I, I thought the artwork was just great. I love the bright colors. It really popped. Thank you. Um, Thank so, you. so I am really... It was, it, was, it, was, it was intended to be in, um, in black and white originally. I mean, that's why that the entire time I was doing the line art, um, I was thinking that it was... I, I had always kind of pictured it as being all in black and white. Um, and it wasn't until that, uh, I got... Uh, the, um, the the publishing deal with Tor Books that um, we found out they wanted it in color, um, and I had never colored something quite that size, something that involved. Yeah. So it was kind of a first for me to to do that, and um, my <laughs> my coloring <laughs> instincts are um, they're very tutti fruity and bright. Um, so you know it was all colored digitally, but it had to be uh, sort of desaturated a number of times and toned down uh, continually. Right. But Otherwise, it just looks like it came straight off of you know the yeah, computer. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, this truly sounds <clears throat> this truly sounds like a labor of love for you. I mean, it's something that's been in your mind for a long time. And um, uh, tell us about that. And like, why is this why is this story stuck with you for such a long time? And why why is it? Uh, Something that always you've come back to, and um, and I'm sure you're glad and finally to get it out in print. But why has this been like a story that you've been you know laboring on for years? Um, I don't 
remember how you know it got started. I uh, I mean it's it's all about um, I mean it's a science fiction story, and the the science fiction hook has to do with the development of uh, a means of um, dealing with supermax prisoners. You know, prisoners yeah. that are held in solitary confinement in these supermax penitentiaries, and the idea is they're all released back into society, but each one is followed around by a robot, which renders <laughs> the prisoner invisible and inaudible. Um, and, you know, it's all about the, the horrible, you know, human tragedy that, you know, ensues. I, I think that at the time I wrote the story, you know, again, it was just kind of, a, you know, an assignment uh, or an exercise for that writing workshop. I think there was a lot of like news specials about supermax pens because then in the mid late 90s the supermax population was burgeoning on you know in the clinton years yeah um and i said that probably was you know it was kind of in the air and, and that's probably what sort of got the ball rolling um and and that original pro story was just uh, you know a, a pretty dry hard science fiction story without much of a human hook um and then and when i when i started working it up into the script for a graphic novel you know it kind of became about more about the protagonist the scientist who was involved in developing this program and the uh the guilt that he's grappling with so you know and this is kind of all of my favorite science fiction stories are like that they have that kind of hard science fiction hook but they've got a really um you know, a, a deep humanistic um, component that everybody can relate to and that will always, you know, be true. It's kind of a redemption story. Um, so that was what, that, that the human part was what kind of really uh, turned me on about the graphic novel and it's kind of what kept me going. I thought it was a really, a really nice, um, you know, human story kind of wrapped up in this um, science fiction yeah. package. Absolutely, and, and um, it, it almost had some shades of, of real history there, too. I mean, it, uh, a little bit with, like, um, uh, say, for instance, the guys who invented the atomic bomb. You know what I mean? Right. It was yep. a huge scientific breakthrough, but it was also it was the greatest yeah. triumph of their lives, but yep. also the greatest tragedy. They, they have become destroyer of worlds, yeah. You know. It's interesting you say that. I, I had never really thought of that connection before, but, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, we, you know, that this, this happens. People... Uh, come up with some device or, you know, idea that, uh, you know, seems like it's going to benefit everybody, but it turns out to have this horrible underbelly. All technology is kind of like that. Every time there's a new device or invention, there's, you know, a good side, but then there's, uh, there's the bad side also. Um, you know, um, the, air, the airplane travel, you know, you can now get to Hong Kong from New York in 12 hours. And that's wonderful. That's great. That brings the world together. The, the drawback, of course, is the pollution and X number of people have to die hideously every year in plane crashes. <laughs> yeah, you know? Very true. They have to die. That's the price. That, that is the you price know, you pay. Is, is, uh, yeah, you know, we're getting, we're, 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 we're you know, it's, it's kind of the, the guard program, as it's called, is packaged and uh, as this uh, humanitarian alternative to a solitary confinement prison. But uh, turns out the uh, cure is worse than the disease, um, <laughs> which is something nobody could really foresee. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, 
When is this your first um, foray into writing your own stuff um, outside of working for Marvel and DC? No. Uh, in 2005, I published a book called The Making of a Graphic Novel, and uh, Watson Guptill um, published it. Uh, and it can, it's, it's basically, it's, it's an interesting little book. It's a 100-page science fiction graphic novel called The Resonator, which is in black and white, but very much in the same drawing style. And then uh, it's a flip book, so there's, if you orient it one way, you've got that graphic, that self-contained one-off graphic novel. Then you flip the book over, and then there's 100 pages of kind of uh, instructional historical material about putting the graphic novel together for all you know, all the way from brainstorming to concept sketches to pencils, then inks. Yeah, I, I want. I should pick that up because our, one of the last guests that we had on here, um, I was trying to pick his brain about how he operates, and it sounds like how to make a graphic novel would be the perfect book for me. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a it's a pretty interesting little book, um, and it's I mean a lot of people don't really you know know that what 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 all goes into you know putting a graphic novel together. It's a gigantic undertaking, though. I mean, a full length you know one hundred two hundred page graphic novel. It's basically I liken it to you know making a movie. Only there's one guy working on it. You you're the actor, the director, and the set designer, and the costume designer. You know the writer everything um so it is this this huge mountain of work done you know kind of in isolation um yeah what what made you choose to go with the graphic novel for this and not like a you know six seven issue miniseries um all of my favorite comics i mean when i when i read comics it's mostly kind of a high-end you know um literary stuff like um, you know my one of my very favorite things is Jimmy Corrigan the smartest kid on earth and yep. you know, I was a big fan of like uh, you know blankets and march and stuff like that uh, I, I'm really just very fond of you know the kind of one-off self-contained big story um, it's a very satisfying thing to um, to read if it's if it's good yeah and well and I, I wanted to I, I, I mean, I, I worked for you know for a great many years for DC as an inker, um, which was great. I mean, I, I had, a, I had a, a really nice run, and uh, it was really very fulfilling. But I, I always you know kind of felt like I had more to offer, and um, this is how I saw that playing out. I, I saw myself doing you know full length graphic novels. Um, yep. So, and that's what I'd like to be doing for the rest of my. And career. there's a. There's also something to be said about um, grabbing a, buff, a book off the shelf and feeling the weight of it, you know, yep. being complete yeah. and having that deluxe quality to do, it. So I can definitely... Uh, do you remember last week, John, I was talking about that book of Jeff Lemire's that was a graphic novel that I just couldn't think of? Yeah, yeah. Essex County, it was Oh, called. okay. <laughs> I don't know why I had to bring that up, but last week I couldn't remember <laughs> it. And Jeff Lemire is one of my favorite writers because he, he dabbles in both, you know, of writing f- just graphic novels, standalone stories, and ongoing. So. Mm-hmm. Right, 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 yeah. Breaking things down, um, I know you have a love of science fiction and Twilight Zone, and you seem like a futurist yourself. What, uh, what really brought you to comics originally, though, and working um, in that comic industry way back when, when you first started? Uh, what okay. brought you to it? Um, um, when I was 
uh, 11 years old, um, Star Wars, the very first Star Wars came sure, out. Sure, yep. Later. Uh, <laughs> and that was, I had been drawing, um, I would started drawing when I was six or seven years old, you know, and I was um, pretty good. And when you're a kid and you can draw, you know, I mean, it gets you attention. So Yes, it does. My attention getter. Anyway, when Star Wars came out, me and a friend of mine, Mark Hoffman, we started drawing our own Star Wars comics. I, I got uh, a black-bound hardcover sketchbook um, and I just started filling it with comics and uh, that was what that was what really kind of got me started was um, was Star Wars and then Alien had a huge influence on me when it came out a couple of years later yeah. I did like my own comics version of Alien it was always movies that really um, that kind of you know shaped my my aesthetic and the way that I write the way that I um, draw um, and I, and I kept drawing comics all through adolescence, um, and um, and then I went to I went to college, and I was a philosophy student, and I was thinking for a while about uh, a career in academia, and I was in a graduate program, and finally, and I left with a master's instead of the PhD I was working on, and at that point I was like 25, and I my and I decided to to make a run at trying to be a comics artist because I still. I, I had taken up drawing comics again and I loved it. Um, and I, I tried to break into the business as an inker, um, and that's what I did. Um, and at the time, you know, I didn't have any um, preconceptions about inkers being, you know, second class citizens compared to pencilers. I didn't, because I'd been doing it all, yep. you know, myself since I was a kid. I'd been penciling and inking and. and I've never, I've never thought of one better than the other. You know, and once you're in the once you once you're in the business, you you kind of realize there's a certain status. There is a there is a hierarchy there. <laughs> oh, very much so, very much so. I mean, the truth of the matter is, a comic book, any comic book, can be wrecked at any stage of the process. It can be wrecked by the script, by the pencils, by the inks, by the colors. I I was just. I was just thinking that as the anchor, you know, your the nerves of steel you must have to pull that line perfectly and not drip, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, that's. I mean, it's it's, it's just, it comes down to practice. It's like playing tennis. I mean, you've got to get it all programmed into your into your wrist, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've got to really use the force when you're inking. Like, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> because if you think about what you're doing, it it will come out all wrong. It's you know, it's kind of like playing the piano or anything else. I guess you know, you can't really think about it. It's all got to be programmed into you. Yeah. But but the people, you know, in the you know, a lot of the readers and a lot of the editors, believe it or not, they have they don't really have any any idea what inking is or what inkers do. You know, they, nope. they <laughs> we don't we don't get a whole lot of respect as opposed to pencilers. Say, pencilers and yeah, like you said in the pegging order are very much you know ahead of the line. So. so like when you were working for DC or Marvel, were you trying to make your way up into a penciler or anything like that? I, I, well, no. I mean, early on, when I, I mean, the, the first big company I worked for was Milestone Media, which was partnered with DC in the early and mid nineties. Mm-hmm. And I was a penciler and an inker for them and a colorist, you know, periodically. I, I penciled, um, Oh God! About fifteen, twenty issues of Hardware. This is in the mid '90s. Um, hardware was one of the flagship characters of Milestone. Um, and then when I started working for DC proper around '96 or '97, then I just 
it yep. was great. So, oh. <laughs> um, so then, like a colorist, would they be even lower? You know, well, or a letterer? You know. <laughs> yeah, 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 pretty much. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, definitely. You know, you know, back in those days, and I guess still to the present day. Yeah. You know, you don't have people going to conventions lining up to meet. You know, letterers. <laughs> I know. You know. Yeah, right. I loved your letter. <laughs> I loved your lettering. <laughs> Not that there's no no room in the world for them, but yes, I, I completely understand. There's not a there's not a con line around the corner for the letterer of whatever's and, going on. Yeah, lettering, lettering, coloring, inking. These are all kind of you know, sadly, at least as far as the the, the mainstream business goes, they're all kind of dying art forms. I mean, the the way that the art is produced is very much in flux. I mean, there's still the the traditional way of you know pencil and ink on paper, but it's but it's you know. It's changing over to digital a lot for, um, you know, money reasons. And that's part of the reason that you don't have that many inkers working for, for DC and Marvel anymore is because there's just, just not much work anymore because so much of the work is being done by the pencilers themselves. They're just inking their own stuff digitally or they're not inking it at all. It's just being kind of punched up digitally to make it look like it's been inked. And, or, that, and uh, that's the sad thing. Virtually everything all looks the same within those companies. Um and you know individual independent books um they all have their distinct features you know yeah yeah um, but i um and even i am working you know uh, to a certain i mean i nowadays i'm, I'm, I'm working on another graphic novel now i'm doing the pencils digitally um with a with a bit of software called um uh, Clip Studio. It was called Manga Studio. I, I do them digitally with a Cintiq tablet, and then I print them out, and I ink them on paper using a light box. Um, so, and, and that's because um, I just I'm, I'm an old fogey, you know, and I yep. just like working with traditional tools. I like the physicality of drawing, and I do my own lettering. I do my own text, um, which is getting rarer and rarer these days. You see more and more. Um, software, you know, lettering mm -hmm. in, in comics. Yeah, uh, it which, definitely seems like you're in touch with the tangibility of it. You like the tangibility of the and the oh, the, yeah. pr the process. Yeah. That's why know. I don't read digital it's comics. It's pretty much a zen thing for me. It's yes, relaxing. absolutely. <laughs> um, so you know, um, I'm I'm always uh, interested in in people's backstories. You know, how did you come to where you are? So how how did you get involved with DC? Or their uh, what was the the company? Um, Milestone. Uh, Milestone. Yeah. Um, I basically uh, back then in the nineties, and I imagine still more it's still more or less the case today. If you want to become an artist for for DC or Marvel or you know any of the the bigger companies, um, you there was no way around it. You just kind of had to go to conventions with a with a portfolio full of samples, and that's what I did. And you just show it. You know, you get critiques from from working illust you know artists, um, and I got a bunch of those. And I went to like I don't know five or six conventions probably before I and you know you just show your your portfolio to editors. Um, and um, and I I got my my very first job was with a little rinky dink company called Personality Comics that paid like twenty five dollars a page for inks. <laughs> Right. Um, I did that for, for a few months and then um, started working for Milestone um, at, at first as a colorist 
what what comics were there? What titles? Milestone was partnered with DC, so that kind of gave me um, entree to, to the world of DC, and I you know met editors and started getting work from them. And then Milestone went out of business in 1997, and from that point on, it was basically um, I was working virtually full time for DC for 15, 16 years after that. That's great. Um, so what titles were you working on early on? Early on, um, for DC, I, I inked Batman the Ultimate Evil, which was a graphic novel um, that Dennis Cowan um, did the penciling for. Dennis was kind of my mentor at Milestone. He was a great, great artist. Um, I, I inked Impulse for about a year. I inked um, DC One Million, which was uh, DC's big 1998 summer crossover event. Uh, Val Semix, a great penciler, penciled it. Yep. I, I inked about 500 pages of JLA material. Did you? Val Semix. Um, an awful lot of um, Green Lantern stuff. I inked Green Lantern Rebirth, which Ethan Van Skyver penciled. That, that was a that was a good a good uh, story. I really liked that. Yeah, yeah, it was a great job. I mean. Um, Ethan is um, he's a pain to ink because he's, his work is you think my stuff is detailed I mean he's just insane I'm gonna you know I didn't realize that was you and I'm gonna have to go pull my book out and look at it to, to, to confirm that it that it was you oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and then um, a lot of um, Green Lantern core over Pat Gleason um, a couple of issues of New X-Men for Marvel uh, those are some of the and right. many, many, you know, other little, little, like, um, short runs and one-offs, um, <clears throat> awful lot of stuff. Yeah, side projects and finding work here and there. I mean, got to pay the bills, yeah. so. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, as and much then, as... In, uh, in, um, in, in 1999, um, I was absent from the comics industry for a year because I took a job at Jumbo Pictures, which was the New York City... Um, office of Disney Animation. Um, and they were doing kids shows for the Disney Channel. And I took a job there um, as a uh, background designer and storyboard artist. And the reason I did that was because the comics industry at that time had gone into a really bad recession mm-hmm. for a number of reasons. Um, and it looked for a time there like the entire you know, mainstream industry was just going to collapse and, and, and shut down. I mean, if you had told me in 1999 that as of 2018 there would still be print comics from DC and Marvel, it right. would have laughed. Yeah. But here we are. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the, the comics industry is kind of like the Rolling Stones. You know, they've been pronounced dead many times and keeps lurching back. I, uh, <laughs> I'm always supporting the brick and mortar um, type things as opposed to the digital you know i'm a huge record collector i'm a huge comic collector um but you know i've never dove into reading comics online um i read one and it just drove me insane you know and i haven't either yeah I haven't either. i um i i mean i mean god god bless them the, the people that produce and, and enjoy it because it's keeping you know it's one of the ways in which comics as an art form is right. evolving and, um, yeah it's keeping the creators happy but but then you know if if it's all online then the stores start to suffer and, and I feel like we need to keep it all going you know that's that's what 
I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that I think that people, you're just, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it seems like you're never going to, people just like to hold a physical object in their hands. They like that. I, I, yeah. You know, and I, I don't really see that going away. Yeah, and I don't either. I think it's just, it's more, uh, we go back to the tangibility thing. It's just, it's a tangible thing, and digital comics has its place, but that's more of a, uh, a thing out of convenience than it is actual collectability. Oh, yeah. You so, know, if, if someone's going on a trip, I can see them grabbing their iPad yep. and having everything with them. Absolutely. But, yeah, I don't think anything will ever trump the physical book. No, no, me either. And for me, there's a certain um, joy of, you know, the, the ritual for me of, Getting the book, reading it, bagging and boarding it, tape, you know, boxing it, putting it where it needs to go. And, yeah. And I, you know, you know this, John. I even catalog my comics, and um, I, that that kind of ritualisticness about it, I I find very comforting. Yeah. Well, it makes you it makes you take more pride and care of it, and then uh, yeah, it, it it does create. Uh, uh, feeling absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And, and it's funny because I don't take such good care of them for the money with <laughs> that down the road they're going to be worth you know you just care for it because you bought it yes exactly <laughs> it's <Yeah>. yours <laughs> uh, uh, a funny thing there I mean one of the reasons um, that the, uh, the comics industry went into that recession in the 90s was there had been a huge boom in speculation um, people had been buying and squirreling away number one issues right yep you think of the death of Superman issue, which sold, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands or millions of copies. I don't yeah. know. And then, all at once, everybody kind of realized that uh, these things aren't worth the paper they're printed on, because everybody's got one. Yeah. If everybody's got one, the reason, the reason Superman number one from 1939 is worth as much as it is, is because of the paper drives of World War II. Everybody's mother took their comics and donated them to the paper drives. Threw them away. There's only a handful of Superman number ones available anymore. Right. Um, it, it, anything that's worth anything is is uh, is worth something because it's gone and people want it back. And it's not because everybody has it. So that's yeah, that's why the comic industry died. Is everybody had it? Everybody wanted to get rid of it all yep. at once. Yep. So yep. So um, yeah, what uh, what comics are you currently reading, if anything? Um, I just finished reading. Um the adaptation, I mean, I just reread Logic Comics, the, which is, you know, like I said, this is all pretty, you know, highfalutin stuff that I like. Um, Logic Comics is the uh, graphic novel that deals with um, um, Bertrand Russell and his career as a philosopher back in the 40s and 50s. I just uh, finished reading Kindred, the adaptation of the, uh, of the uh, <clears throat> novel. Um, I'm about to read um, my favorite thing is Monsters, uh, which was given to me as a Christmas present. Um, it was written and drawn by Emil Ferris. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's her debut um, graphic novel. It's huge and it's beautiful. The artwork, uh, I'm daunted by it. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's a very large um, book. I've seen that one. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that's pretty much it. I'm reading Planet of Demons by my friend Kevin Gunstone. He's a, uh, a British um, comics author and he's put out a miniseries called Planet of Demons. I'm reading uh, Ghost Stories of Antiquity which is a collection of, uh, of um, ghost stories, 
by uh, M.R. James, which has been turned into um, a little graphic novel. Um, I love horror. Um, mm-hmm. I'd actually, I'd, I'd love to do a graphic novel myself, which is a ghost story, if I could think of a good one. See, that's, that's kind of the basis of our podcast. We kind of made it... Um, a point not to focus on superhero type stuff and really accentuate independent stuff, specific specifically horror. I think John and I both talk more about horror movies than anything else uh, yes. on this show. Oh, oh <laughs> so, okay, all right, no, absolutely. I have no idea. No, I love horror. I love horror. Um, yeah, ghost so, stories, uh, supernatural horror is my very um, you know favorite kind of horror. But it's it's really it's it's hard. I think to come up with something fresh and compelling it's kind of like a time travel you know time travel stories that's one of the staples of science fiction but yep. it's, it's hard these days to, to come up with something that's with a new angle for that exactly you gotta um, like how has it not been done before especially time right. travel you know how can you make it make more sense than the the last person that tried you know yeah, yeah, and also come up with it without somebody just going, oh, well, that's just Terminator, but they changed the Terminator to a squid monster. You know yeah, what I mean? Right. <laughs> well, that's just back to the future, except. Yes. Yeah, you're always going to run into that. But, yeah, I mean, it's harder and harder to come up with original ideas nowadays. But I think that is the beauty um, of the stuff that we all like is is um, independent stuff. It, it does push the envelope for originality, and it's not just the, you know, Superman, Batman, Spider-Man. And there's a place for that stuff. But that's really why Tyler and I, and even yourself, like this kind of stuff because it is new. It's fresh. It's you pick it up and you feel like you've never read it before, and it's 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 eye opening and mind expanding, and it's like wow, I didn't think about that. So I think that's why it's awesome. It's a, kind of a funny thing. The entire time, um, you know, as, as I told you, the the thing that kind of got me started drawing comics was science fiction movies, and the entire and I I never actually read. Um, superhero comics very much. Uh, I mean, as a kid, I had my little, I had a box of them, I had my stash, but I, I, I never had, you know, a giant collection and I never religiously followed, you know, the X-Men or the Avengers or anything. Um, and that was one of the reasons that I, that I broke into that business as an inker. I never really felt comfortable, um, you know, drawing the, the, these, these iconic characters because I just didn't really know their history. Sure. Um, so I, I, I've always kind of liked to quip that um, I, I deal, but I don't use in terms of superhero comics. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> I like that. I That's like a that. good analogy. Yes. Uh, I'm the same way, though. I, you know, when I was a kid, there was a place, there was a time and place for Spider-Man, Superman, mm, Batman. Right. You all, we all kind of gravitated towards it because it, it was it was just, they were there and they were part of pop culture. Yep. But that wasn't what made me buy comics. It was being at the local grocery store and seeing the Predator comic and seeing yeah. like Alien See, and seeing the for, Dark Horse stuff. For you know? me, a lot of my friends liked comics too, except um, it had to almost be from one of the big two. It was almost oh, like yeah. it was uh, yeah. it kind of that you weren't cool if you were reading the indies. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> yeah, they, they definitely weren't uh, as prevalent as they are today, for I, sure. Someone gave me some Star Wars comics when I was a kid that were out on Dark Horse and I remember thinking, Oh, it's Dark Horse. I don't want to read these. <laughs> uh, and now, my, my, now, now I love it. Hey, my very favorite single comic is the adaptation of Alien, which was written by Archie Goodwin and um, illustrated by Walter Simonson. I, in fact, which came out in 1979, shortly after the release of Alien. I mean, it's it's so beautiful. I mean, to this day, I still like if I you know, need an idea or on how to draw something 
open. It's like dog-eared and falling apart, but I, I just love it. Yeah, those are the those are the ones that you don't care if, if they're worth you know tons of money if it's yours then if it's that bad of shape because of you you know yeah that is your that is that is your muse book yeah um for horror stuff currently i'm reading baby teeth and like we were talking about coming up with a an original ideal i think cullen bunn has done it on that one i don't know have you read any of that that one's donny cates donny cates yep (laughs) um it's out on aftershock but um it's creepy um but uh yeah it's an i i can't i don't know if it's going to be a um uh ongoing or not we're on issue 10 so i'm kind of guessing it is they keep going i've seen solicitations for issues like 14 so i mean i think this is going that one's in for the long run um and then currently you like jeff lemire but jeff lemire's got that gideon falls right now which is super creepy that's good so i think that would be another one to look out for as well that gideon falls is really really good very horror, supernatural, like creepy. Uh, so, so uh, for, you know, the furnace. When I first heard that title, um, I thought it was going to be a different book than it was when I researched it. You know, um, I thought it was going to be more dark. You know, just from the the name, the furnace. Um, I thought it was going to be gritty, um, but it, like I said, it, it just totally took me by surprise. The bright poppiness of the colors. Yep. It, it, I'm, I'm, a, I'm really way into, um, I guess you call it authenticity and, um, and having a kind of a submerged, you know, directorial style. I don't like to call attention to the fact that it's a comic book. Right. So I, I you know, and in terms of like um, laying out the furnace, I, I took a lot of cues actually from like stage plays, you mm-hmm. know, um, which, which I love. Um, like like plays by like uh, Edward Albee or um, uh, Eugene O'Neill. I mean, a lot of the shots are set up. Um, it's just a repetition, you know. There'll be like four stacked panels, and it'll be the same panel. The only thing that's changing is the expression on the characters' faces, that sort of thing. Yep. Yep. So I I, I didn't really set out to, to to give it you know any kind of unique um, um, visual you know. Uh, you know, aesthetic uh, or anything remarkable. I, I just kind of started drawing it, um, you know, to tell the story as clearly and, you know, kind of, uh, like I said, authentically as possible. And um, and the coloring, uh, you know, again, it, it, I had to mute it quite a bit to make it, um, you know, as quiet as it is. But right, right. As you said, it is still kind of um, eye-popping and, 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 and fairly bright, but... Um, yeah, you know, I mean, it's in the end, it's a happy story. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's kind of a grim story, um, but but I I like a happy ending, and I, I kind of gave it one. Um, so you know, and it's it's hopeful. Yeah. Uh, in the end, um, <laughs> we're I'm looking forward to it very much. Um, I love new stuff, and like you said, uh, it being a one and done, I like that in stuff because then I don't have to yeah. like re- remember to get the next one. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know. That's that's my biggest problem. Like it happened tonight, where um, I was at home and I realized I picked up one of my comics to read and I was totally lost. And I'm like, what the? And then I looked and I hadn't bought the previous one, so I'm like, god damn it, you know. <laughs> and 
And that happens to me more and more often. Yeah, yeah. One and one and done is is awesome. Um, and um, and I, I was I was just you know blown away um, that the tour books of, of all people you know wanted to publish it. Right. They're mainly known for um, for science fiction you know literature, and I they're they're just now starting to make forays into into graphic novels because the uh, the graphic novel um, part of the publishing world is. You know, my understanding, at least, is that it is expanding, yeah. and um, and Tor wanted to, you know, get some of that action. So, um, you know, absolutely, think, and, and they've 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 done a marvelous and incredible job with the with the production, and it's a. I haven't actually seen the the, the final book, um, and then it, it comes out on July 10th. That's so I'll see it around the time you guys do, but um, it, it looks like it's just going to be beautiful. Um, I'm very excited. Yeah, and that speaks volumes about, you know, your idea and your work that they're willing to step out of the boundaries and and, um, give you not only the credit but the opportunity to do this with them is awesome. So that speaks volumes for your work. That's just over. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I have to tell you a funny story. Um, On Instagram, you liked our smash and grab Instagram. And I have been really trying to get guys that look like they're independent and they're really trying to get their stuff out there and i didn't i didn't realize who you were when i when i first messaged you and then you got back to me that yeah you'd love to be on the show and then i then i started doing um, a little more research beyond just the furnace and um i was really um kind of taken aback that you had said yes (laughs) oh Yeah, oh, we are we are also very flattered as well, and we're very happy that you set aside some time. And 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 the biggest thing is, you know, you're in London, so that's the time jump there. Is you know, it's, it's I know you're late staying there. up for us. I'm like, that's awesome. It's almost one a.m. here. Oh, God. oh goodness. Um, we won't we won't keep you too much longer here, but um, uh, but we but I seriously looked at it. and I'm going, why did this guy say yes? I'm just like I was trying to figure it out because I'm like. I don't know. If it, it feels like hey. you've done too much good work to want to chat with us, you know. <laughs> no, I don't. Know. No, I mean it's like uh, God, you know. Any any uh, any publicity is good publicity. Exactly. You're, exactly. You're damn, you're damn right on that one. Yeah. We. Uh, so then, I ran into. I ran into. Oh, I came into um, the store here where John and I record our podcast, and and he goes, "Did you see what this guy has done in the past?" I said, "Yep." <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, it, it it was one of those things where um, I didn't even, and I apologize, I didn't realize uh, who you were at the time. So, oh no, that's all right. I mean, I was uh, just going off. Ooh, a new comic, The Furnace. That looks awesome. You know. No, no, that's that's, that's totally the. Again, I was an anchor. It's a story of my life. You know. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. Um, but yeah. Um, so this, you, you said you've got another story that's in the works right now to come out after the furnace. Yes, uh, but it's it's still uh, well, it's uh, it's not exactly embryonic. I'm about a third the way through the artwork. Sure. And I'm not. I'm hoping Tor will publish it. That's not confirmed. Um, but um, you know, I'm sure excited. that will kind of hinge on uh, how the furnace does. But so far, it sounds like your book's going to do very very well. So. Well, I, you know, they, yeah, I, I think it'll definitely uh, that will factor into 
whether they're willing to, you know, risk um, another another graphic novel from me. But I'm so, you know. But I think it's um, I think it's it's better than the furnace. It's, it'll certainly be an adequate follow up in either in, in, any, in any event. Um, um, but it's also a science fiction story, um, and it's going to be in its own universe. You're not building a giant world with these stories. No, okay. no, no. Um, it's it's totally different. It's much more. It's a much more visual um, story. Um, I mean, it's you know, again, it's science fiction, but it's um, it, it it takes place. Uh, it's it's basically it's about an immortal. Um, you know, a guy that lives for ten thousand years and what he sees and experiences. You know, and I've I've kind of compressed it all into two hundred pages, which is which is quite. Quite an undertaking that, for ten thousand years. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine that would be huge. Very cool. Very cool. So yeah, I mean, it sounds like the furnace. You're trying to get into more of the human aspect, the emotional, and telling right. a story. Uh, and then it, with your other book that, that will be coming out later, that you're st- currently working on, it sounds like it's going to be more of a, a visual feast and highlighting your art. Much more so. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Much to, to a much greater extent, it will be. Um, uh, all about just um, you know uh, it'll be much more about the look of the thing and about the settings and the and the concepts. Um, so yeah, it's much more of a kind of a visual idea piece. That's great. That's great. Yeah. But then um, yeah, I just had one more question for you. Um, when you were at Marvel or DC, um, were you currently writing stories um, even though you weren't being published by those uh, companies? Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, uh, from 1998 until 2003, me and uh, four of the uh, guys that um, that I met at Jumbo Pictures, the Disney studio I was working at, mm-hmm. we um, took it upon ourselves to create and publish a uh, yearly anthology called Monkey Suit. I um, saw that on your I website, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I contributed to... Um, one of those anthologies um i wrote and drew stories for those and also um yeah that entire time i was working for for dc i was writing um stories you know prose stories um and yeah but i mean some of it a little of it got published not much um but um yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I never stopped doing that. Uh, right. And there were there were there were periods when I had to. Like there were there were periods of you know just too busy. Two or three years where I just had so much work from DC that I was just uh, doing it all the time. Um, which which is also great. I mean, it's you know it's it's nice to be uh, wanted and needed in that regard. Um, Are you still but, working uh, for either one of them? No, the last time I worked for DC was in 2013, um, and that was after a two-year hiatus, um, and it was just inking a few pages. Um, but it was kind of an eye-opener in the sense that already at that point, the um, the production process had changed. In that, um, I, I discovered to my chagrin that um, you know, I mean the back in the day, back in the 90s and early 2000s, they would, you know, the penciler would draw on Bristol board that was provided by DC or Marvel Comics. Yep. And then these pencil pages would be FedExed to you, the inker, and then you would ink directly onto the pencils and then 
shunt them on to the colorist or back to the editor or whatever. Yep. In this last time I worked for DC in 2013, I found out that you were expected to, they emailed you the <laughs> pencils, and you were expected to print them out yourself um, on your own paper at your own expense. Oh. <laughs> Oh, uh, did your did your rate go up? I mean, did they pay you more? No, 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 no. This was this was the cold water in the face, and then uh, <laughs> you were not only expected to do, to do that, you then had to upload them and format them according to their requirements. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, only then could you um, submit an invoice to be paid. You know, uh, after they had approved your your formatting. Um, wow. Probably about three or four jobs right there. Yeah, I mean, they, at, one, at one time, they would have, I, mean, I guess maybe they still do, they had a, a bullpen, a production department, where they had guys that were dedicated to doing what I just described. Mm-hmm. I kind of got the sense that they had eliminated those guys and farmed out all the work to the freelancers, to the artists, for no additional recompense. Um, so, so, no, I mean, it was, it was kind of, it was a little shocking. It's um, very eye-opening, yeah. And that was that was already five years ago. I don't know how much it's changed. <laughs> it's probably worse. Oh man, I'll bet you. Probably, yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, but but I, I you know that's that's just the way the way it goes. I mean, uh, DC and Marvel are you know like I mean obviously they're still printing comics. I mean which is which is tremendous. Um, and I you know I, I don't know how they're doing. I don't really keep on top of that. I know that the movies are doing marvelous. I just saw Avengers Infinity War today. Or yeah, Infinity. saw it the other night. It was incredible. But I, but I, I don't know. So, so Hollywood is making a mint off of these characters um, and properties. But I don't know the extent to which that redounds to the benefit of, of DC and Marvel Comics. I don't know if they're making any money. Oh, I think so, I think so. Like nobody really cared who Thanos was a year ago, and now yeah. you know he's got his own uh, title. So, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, um, but I, but I can, I can definitely understand as how you know DC and Marvel, you know, have got to cut corners, you know, and um, and squeeze to stay viable. You know, I guess. <laughs> I guess that's, I, I, that's that's the positive spin anyway. I guess the negative spin is they're just trying to milk the talent, you know, and it's it's a it's a give and take right now i mean it's a it's a a very thin line you know um you know it's still comics and the film industry they definitely coincide uh i i uh, i think the film industry they make way more money off of oh yeah there's for sure isn't going to be a single comic in the history of comics that's going to sell no. how you know the gr- the single gross of the avengers movies that are coming out you know, you know and we mean? can we can thank uh iron man for that i mean it's been 10 years now of um them telling this long form story which i think works well yeah and so they're probably going to make you know who knows how many more yeah but but yeah i mean it is definitely a a thin a thin thing it's a fragile thing the comics industry is right. really great right now but you know, you give it one or two bad years on sales for comics, it could be it could be bad. But right now, we're still right. holding we're strong. Right. <laughs> holding strong for guys like me because yeah. I'm spending you know sixty bucks a week on comic books. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
but uh, Prentice, we uh, we're gonna let you go here. Um, is there anything you want to promote or? Um, where can people find you? Yeah, yeah. Just the furnace. Um, you can, you know, if anybody's interested in pre-ordering it, they can go to my website, which is www.prenticerollinsart.com. That's uh, the Prentice is P-R-E-N-T-I-S. PrenticeRollinsArt.com. There's a pre-order link there, um, or you can just, you know, Google it, the furnace by Prentice Rollins, and it'll come up on Amazon. That's all I'm pushing right now. Um, yeah. Um, Beautiful. Yeah. Um, I'm going to buy it the day it comes out. So um, maybe we'll have to get back together after I've read it and we can actually talk about the story, you know. Yeah, we didn't We didn't want to press too much about it since the book is still a ways out and we didn't want to give away too many things. But, yeah, that might be a fun idea, too. Just get yeah. it and read it and it talk to you again. my pleasure. It really would. That would be great. Beautiful. Um, so – um, we're going to let you go and uh, I'm sorry for keeping you up way too late I, <laughs> I you know and then oh JP you didn't know this we were an hour off so he's six hours ahead so oh, so I when I realized that I'm like oh my god you've been waiting for us like <laughs> dang it <laughs> Uh, well, we certainly, certainly appreciate your time. The man is Prentice Rollins. The book is The Furnace. Comes out July 10th, 10th. correct? July 10th. Yes. That's awesome. You can Thanks, pre-order. Guys. I sure appreciate it. Pre-order from his website or talk to your local comic shop. Uh, it's in the previews magazine for any local comic shop. Uh, you can find those. But thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. It's been a, an absolute pleasure. And uh, we really appreciate it and hope you the best. And uh, I'm sure the book will do amazing. And I'm sure Tor will contact you for your, your second yeah, I, I, mean, I have no doubt. Uh, hey, Prentice, hang on the line a minute. We'll finish up the show, and then uh, I'll get back to you. Okay. All right. So um, John and I, you know, we can be found on our Facebook page, Smash and Grab Comics. Our website is smashandgrabcomics.com, and we've got Instagram. John, have you got going on the Twitter yet? I'm I'm on the Twitter personally, personally, but not but not for the, but not for this. Yeah, I don't I don't uh, have that level of credentials yet. We need to um, step up our media game. Um, we're getting we're in about the hundred downloads a week. Hey man, and um, I want to see that in about thousands because I was talking to advertisers, and once we get ten thousand a month, <laughs> then then they'll then they will uh, look at us again. It's called baby steps, Tyler. I we're know. gonna get there, man. I know. But we appreciate all our listeners. Like and share. Smash the like button. Smash the subscribe button. If you leave us any comments, we will get back to you as soon as we can. But thanks so much for listening. Uh, as always, Pretty Boy Comics JP. And I'm just the Internet's Tyler Johnson. We'll see you guys next time. Later.